25th Line, Mike Todd here, in arena host for your Columbus Blue Jackets, and you're listening to the Subjectively Speaking Podcast. And now, here's Jeremy Paul and Laura Norman. What's going on, everyone? And welcome to another episode of Subjectively Speaking on the Hockey Podcast Network, presented by DraftKings. My name is Jeremy. And I'm Laura. And I'm currently still in my office because I finally, after two months, got everything out of my storage unit. That's right. The storage unit that made me cry going home from Grand Rapids. It's all out. I got it all out before I needed to pay the next month's rent on it. And now it sits in my new apartment. All a splay. So, folks, <laughs> hope you like my office. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, you know, you got to do what you got to do. So... And the next episode we record, you're not even going to be in Michigan. You know, you're so right. Do you know where I'm going to be? I'm actually going to be in um, Columbus, Ohio. What? I know. Have you heard of it? It's a small town, Midwest cow town. (laughs) Absolutely zero hockey fans. What's your opinion on cow print? On cow print? Yeah. I said cow town and it made me think of cow print. And I just like, I'm actually kind of like a fan of it. So I just needed to check in. I mean, it depends on its context and um, who's using it. I do have an a, uh, an adoring nature towards it because my nephew Hudson, his baby blanket, his cow print. I mean, he's going to be eight, Aww. but he still sleeps with it. So, Shout out Hudson. He's but, a big fan of the show. Truly. He did call Nationwide Arena my office. He's not super wrong, and we get to go back there together in so soon. We do. And as people are listening to this episode, don't don't judge me. As people are listening to this episode, you're probably on your way to Nationwide Arena to go take in a Hockey is for Everyone night against the Devils. Yes, this will come out on Tuesday, March 1st, uh, which is Hockey is for Everyone night at Nationwide Arena. Um, celebrating uh, all of the marginalized communities that have um, historically been uh, left out of the conversation when it comes to hockey, when it comes to sports in general, um, and the work that the Blue Jackets and the NHL have started to do and all of the work that they continue to need to do and the process that um we are on to make this sport that we love a safe and inclusive environment for truly everyone so yeah and we, we, yeah we got go to ahead. talk a little bit about that with a very special guest today that i'm very excited to introduce to you all here um and just a little bit we'll talk about the hockey from the last few days and then we'll go into that interview but uh really a great honor for us to sit down um, with Peter Levins today, who if you are active on Blue Jackets Twitter, you are familiar with who Peter is. Peter is the Associate General Counsel for the Columbus Blue Jackets and has been with the team since 2012, I mean, for a very long time. And so we got to have a really great conversation with him, um, you know, what it means to be, um, you know, an out and proud gay man working in uh, you know, sports specifically working with the Columbus Blue Jackets and just what it means uh, for LGBTQIA plus representation in the sport of hockey. So, I mean, a really great conversation with him. You are definitely going to want to stick around for that. Uh, and, you know, I always find myself like 
I always love the interviews that we do with our guests, but I always love even more um, the conversation that always happens with our guests after the show, like where we're all just like, okay, we're not recording anymore. Like that was really great. Like it's great to meet you. I'm gently, like, I don't know. Like I just feel like we become the more real conversation. Correct. Yeah. I honestly, that would be such good, like bonus content, but nevertheless, um, Peter was great. And, and you're going to want to stick around for that one, guys. Absolutely. But before we get to the awesome interview that we did with Peter, we've got quite a bit of Blue Jacket talking to discuss. As we mentioned in our last episode, um, as we are trying to uh, make it. So this is episode 99. We're trying to make it so the episode 100 is recorded when Jeremy and I are actually together in the same city. Um, so we had to skip um, a normal our normal release day last Friday. Uh, so when we left you uh, last Tuesday, the Blue Jackets were getting ready to head into a really tough four-game sort of run. And, you know, it kind of worked out how we thought it would. Um, it it actually kind of worked out better than we thought it would. I was about ready to say, I... <laughs> Like, I don't know who you're talking to, because I personally did not expect for them to go two and two out of those four games. And that's not me throwing shade. Two and two is a great accomplishment for this team against those four teams. But I that that felt like it was probably exceeding my expectations personally. Yes, absolutely. I mean, uh, personally speaking, I could not have been more thrilled to watch the Blue Jackets um, kick the Toronto Maple Leafs in the pants including Austin Matthews, who I hold no love for, um, in a, a win last Tuesday uh, against the Leafs at home. Um, always enjoy beating the Leafs, um, and especially when, you know, they've, they've kind of run into their usual, like, dry spell. Um, they hadn't been – they'd been outscored their last, I think, like, six games before coming to Columbus. They had lost to the Montreal Canadiens. Um, and so you never want to kick someone when you're down, but I kind of like kicking the Toronto Maple Leafs when they're down. So, and we did that in uh, beating them last Tuesday. And then the shock of all shocks, the Columbus Blue Jackets are on national television Thursday night playing the Florida Panthers. And we, as we've seen in our other nationally televised games this season, do exceedingly well when they give us the opportunity to be nationwide. Ignore the the pun. Um, (laughs) Which is honestly such a foreign concept, though, because when I tell you that back when this team would, would get any sort of national coverage, those games were always the ones that I hated going to and always the ones that I hated watching on TV because they always lay neg, like always. So this has been a welcome. Maybe it's just because they're streaming and they're not like on the actual ESPN channel. It's like ESPN plus. Maybe that's doing it. Maybe it's the John Butchacross effect. I don't know what it is, but you're right. I mean, they've just, they've just dazzled. Because miraculously the Columbus Blue Jackets beat the Florida Panthers Six to three in Florida. That's right. Redemption. Finally. I mean, I I definitely 
if you would have told me the Blue Jackets are going to win two games in this stretch, probably Florida would not be one of the ones that I said. I probably would have said Toronto and and Pittsburgh, um, which I would have been one one of two on. But yeah, I mean, just them being able to go to Florida, win that game, especially. I mean, God, you lose to a team nine two and eight four in a season. You know, they went, I think it was one, six, and one last year against the Panthers. I mean, the Panthers have really had the Blue Jackets number this calendar year. And, well, I, I mean, yeah, I guess this calendar year, but within the last year. And to be able to go to Florida, get that win, that's big. And to do it with, with all due respect to the people who played, a pretty skeleton roster, like, this is nowhere near a Blue Jackets starting lineup right now with injuries to Zach Wierenski, Jake Bean, uh, you know, with Jean-Francois Berube playing or starting, all, what, three of the four of these games. So, I mean, again, no disrespect to the people who were playing, but not exactly your typical Blue Jackets starting lineup to go to Florida and to get it done. That's big. Yeah, absolutely. And to do it, I mean, to do it the Blue Jackets way, it was – they played hard all 60 minutes and, you know, they really like they, they, they came to win. They were not going to give up. Um, you know, we ended the first period tied one, one go up two one in the second period and then just really make it the blue jackets game in that third period scoring four goals. Um, and trust me, the Florida Panthers, as Jeremy said, like to kick our butts like they they very much so enjoy beating us um thing to joy to it for them yeah and you know we didn't i mean i don't know if the difference was that they didn't have bob in goal that night for us or what but we just did not give up and it was so exciting to watch them finally beat the panthers and I was kind of right. We scored six goals. <laughs> so that is true. But the good news is that we didn't give up seven based on your, you know, prediction, on, prediction. on how it was going to go. So uh, that's a win. That that feels good. Uh, and, and you know, that's the thing, right? About the last two matchups against Florida is it's like sure, like you probably want to score more than two goals in a game. So you can't really say that you should have won a game where you got beat nine two, but when you score four goals, like you've got a distinct chance of winning a hockey game. And of course they do score four goals in that one loss eight to four. So it's like, Oh no. And if you score six goals and you lose the hockey game, uh, you have every right to be pissed off. Ask the Detroit Red Wings who lost 10 to seven to. <laughs> yeah. The Maple Leafs, the Maple Leafs um, after we beat them decided that they were tired of losing. And yeah, it was like that Michael Jordan meme where he's like, and I took that personally. Like that was like how they reacted to losing to us. And then yeah, they, yeah. they decided to just whoop on Detroit the other night uh, when beating them 10 to seven. But, you know, for as well as we played on Thursday, we unfortunately used, I think all of our energy um, and, you know, poor J.F. Berube had just such an incredible start winning his first three games um, in such a tough decision, like such a tough circumstance with both Elvis and Corpy injured and um, Tarasov. Like, 
literally our fourth line <laughs> goalie coming out and having such a huge first three wins uh, to then going into Carolina, just not only absolutely gassed, but going up against a team where we embarrassed them the last time that we were there and they were having none of it. Um, you know, they very much so knew that we were going to be tired and knew that they wanted to do sort of an equal level, which they did. We lost four nothing to Carolina Friday night. Um, you know, you want to be upset, but the circumstances, like we were exhausted, like just exhausted. And, you know, like I said, they wanted to get us back for us shutting them out six, nothing the last time we were there. Um, and so you can't even really be mad at it. Like you can't really, I mean, February has been such a beautiful month for the blue jackets and, you kind of just have to reflect on everything else and just, I mean, the team didn't even watch the tape. Like they didn't even watch the tape. Lars wasn't letting any of the coaches watch the tape. He just said, we were tired and that's all you're going to see on that tape. So there's no point in, in looking at it. So we leave Carolina and come home with a day in between to face off against the ridiculous tuxedo chickens that are the Pittsburgh Penguins um, Sunday night in what can only be best described as a classic example of the 614 rule. And we lost um, after a ridiculous decision made by the referees that was then changed after the game by the NHL because it's not the same explanation that we were given during the game. Um, we lost, uh, three to two. Um, we should have won that game. We played better than them. Um, and that's just, it's the upsetting part of this. It's the upsetting part where you, you know, and I've learned this in being a fan for the last couple of years is just sometimes it's hard to deny that the league chooses other teams over other teams. Like that there are a select section of teams that get special privilege um, over other teams. And that happens, I'm not going to say much more than other teams, but it happens quite often with us. And, you know, I fully agreed. And this is probably one of why I love um, his reporting on the team, but I fully agree with Brian Hedger that if the situation that had occurred with Sidney Crosby's goal game-winning goal had occurred with a blue jacket, that goal would have been overturned 100%. So I don't know how you feel about it, but I definitely think, because I, I don't know how you call that goalie, like how you make that Elvis's fault when he was just doing what his job is. And, you know, but... Yeah, I mean, I mean, it sucks, right? Like, I will say, like, it feels like disproportionately happens to the Blue Jackets, and I don't know if that's coming from a place of, like, the only team that I watch every game of is the Columbus Blue Jackets, so they're really the only team I have a pulse on in terms of how often stuff happens to them, but it does feel that way, and I think it's probably not an exaggeration to say what Brian Hedger said, which was, you know, if Boone Jenner... (laughs) 
<laughs> does that to Casey to Smith, chances are, you know, it's it's no goal. I recognize what the rule is. I understand that like the goalie could technically initiate contact in a situation like that. But I think where the the question lies for me is like, why? <laughs> why is that the rule? Like, why is that like, you know, the the why why is that the rule? In that uh, a goalie can come out of the crease to play a puck, but like when he's obstructed as he's doing that, you know, it's the same way that if a player was going to go play a puck on the ice, but if the player was obstructed before he got to the puck, it would technically be interference. Like that to me is like where I have questions and it's just, we're not going to get any answers we like. So it's like hard to keep asking them, but yeah, that's a game that you really think you deserve to win. Um, And, you know, especially, Anytime you play the Penguins, like you want to win. And the Blue Jackets, for the better part of 50 minutes of that game, looked like they were going to win. Um, you know, they led the Penguins in expected goals uh, up until, um, you know, the um, of getting Malkin goal was a pretty high expectation of, of a goal getting scored. So technically, that threw the Penguins over for the game. But um, man, it's just, it's, it's tough. Um, that's when you don't want to lose. And, the only thing that I'll say about like being a little bummed about not at least winning that game is like it would have been cool because all things considered, the Blue Jackets should beat New Jersey tomorrow or today, as the people are listening. Hopefully, um, you know they sometimes do this thing where they play down to their opponents, and that's neither here nor there. But you could be going into a game on Saturday against the Bruins where if they would have, if they would have strung that win together against Pittsburgh and they would have won what eight of the last 10, nine of the last 10 and gone in there and played Boston for something that mattered, like a game that really mattered. It's going to be a fun atmosphere. It's going to matter for a lot of other reasons, but that would have been wild <laughs> that game. Um, and it still will be, but uh, I can't help but think about how wild that place would have been if we would have come in there having won nine of our last ten. Yeah, and you know, I think that's that adds that you know bit of a chip on every tried and true Blue Jackets fans' shoulders. It's just this constant hurdle that, like, we're you know we're actively trying as a team. You know, we're we're working through just natural, just natural stoppages with injuries, with COVID, with you know, whatever. And then you, you feel this, like just being slighted by a rule that doesn't a hundred percent apply that, you know, like that, you know, would be called back. Like if the roles were reversed, like, it's just like when the, the people that you work for are standing in your way. Um, so it, it adds a, a different level of frustration, but you know that doesn't that doesn't need to overshadow all the good, obviously, that the Blue Jackets have done in the month of February, but also done in the last week. And you know, we in our pre-recording meeting, um, we discussed, you know, are we going to do three stars or, um, you know, that's kind of a lot of games <laughs> to try and figure out. Um, and it, I had a brain. Uh, short circuit moment and i was just like too many people too many people too many people um it was actually a scary moment because i'm like i'm five and a half hours away from you i don't know how to help you like i was worried 
it's just a small reflection into all of our listeners about what my um, outside podcast life is like that my brain is short circuiting at a seven o'clock at night on Monday. Um, but so we have collectively decided to have to just award, you know, cause it has, it holds so much to everyone to just award one star um, for the last week. So Jeremy, would you like to tell our lovely listeners who we have decided is the top blue jacket player for the last week? I would, I would love to. Um, it's none other than Jean-Francois Barube, who also got some love. Um, if you listen to 32 Thoughts, uh, got some love from Elliot Friedman as well on that show. You know, just kind of talking about the whole idea of the stick to of him to four years later after his last NHL win, still be in the conversation, like still be fighting for NHL playing time. Obviously, you're two your top three actually uh, goaltenders had to get injured in order for that to happen for JF Brube, but it does happen and it's a really cool story. And I, I think it's just a feel good moment and he played well. Like it's not, it's not just a, he, he got some lucky bounces. The team just outscored the opponents in a dramatic way. It's, it's he played well and he kept the jackets in games. He even really kept the jackets in that Carolina game for the first period in a way that they needed and just were never able to fight. What? They just were never able to, you know, strike and they were never able to keep it going and give him get that kind of security that he deserved and needed. But nevertheless, I also don't know if you're talking about it on this show, but that kind of like in my head segues pretty quickly into the fact that Daniel Tarasov had hip surgery and he's going to be out. Yeah, no, we haven't, we haven't recorded since they announced that, but yes, Daniel Tarasov, it was announced, um, had hip surgery, I believe last Wednesday. Yeah, because it was during the skate space. If you haven't checked out the skate spaces, you need to go to those. They're really fun. They're hosted by Jeff Savota and Dylan Tyre. Um, so you and I like to say guest hosted by us because we're on there. We show up every now and again. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we chime in. So if you if you don't hear our voices enough, which who you'll at least see our logo. Um, that's true, and it's a really cute logo. It is, but yeah. So um, Daniel Tarasov had hip surgery last Wednesday, um, which obviously takes him out of the season. The rest of the season, um, his expected timeline for recovery is six months. Um, which after I did some panic math um, puts him back um, to hopefully being able to skate, play, participate um, by middle of August. Uh, So just in time for camp and, you know, hopefully being able to be that expected solid um, second line goalie um, that the club has intended for him to take over when, the more than likely inevitable trading of Jonas Corposalo at some point this season or off season. Um, So, yeah. So we wish him a speedy recovery. Hip surgery is no joke, especially for goalies. Their hips are incredibly important. I was going to say rumor has it that hips are pivotal. Literally. I don't know if you've ever seen Elvis in what he does, but him splitting himself in half is literally all hips. Like that's a, it's a hip motion um, that allows him to do that. So 
Um, so yes, speedy recovery. They said surgery went well. Um, so speedy recovery to Daniil Tarasov. And, you know, we just are looking forward to seeing him back in his blue jacket sweater at the end of the summer. So if not sooner, but maybe Max can go and like stare at his hip for a while. Max seems to have like that magic that we talk about with healing from injuries. So. He better go do that sooner rather than later because I have a bad feeling that he's not going to be giving those services to Blue Jackets players for free after hey, much longer. I thought we decided we weren't going to talk about it until it got closer to the trade deadline. I think we're getting decidedly close to the trade deadline. Not yet. <laughs> I think we are. Uh, I'll give you until after your birthday. How about that? Um, which is Wednesday. So if you're listening to this on Tuesday, be sure that you wish Laura a happy birthday on Wednesday. Um, because this feels like the first year in our friendship that I'm actually pretty convinced that it's not the 3rd of March. I, I don't know why, but I always want it to be the 3rd of March, and it's not. It never has It is been. not. Um, it is the 2nd of March. But, um, but you know, I, I appreciate you being in ballpark area. I try. I try. For my birthday. Um, and speaking of ballparks. Oh, Yeah. This is a bad segue because I'm about to tell you a little bit about basketball and what our friends at DraftKings can do for you. Those aren't called ballparks. Those are called arenas. Uh, But nevertheless, friends, uh, you know, our friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook, uh, they've always got the best offers for fans of all sports. But this week we're going to talk to our Hoops fans. Uh, So DraftKings Sportsbook is an official sports betting partner of the NBA, and they've got a deal that's too good for you to pass up. And I'm talking between the legs, 360 windmill good. New customers can bet just $1 on any team and get $150 in free bets if they win. And it's really that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still take your shot at a big payday because everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Basketball Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes, but there's a first deposit. You're just going to want to download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN. Bet just $1 on any NBA team and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, 21 and older. Minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdictions. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Void where prohibited. Minimum $5 deposit. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Tennessee. Call or text the Tennessee red line 1-800-889-9789 in Connecticut. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in New York. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467- Three six nine. Um, so, I think I think it's about that time in the show where you might be tired of hearing just me and Laura talk. You might want us to bring in a friend. And uh, like I said earlier in the show, we have the most absolutely incredible guest for today's show. Like we said earlier, uh, Tuesday night is hockey is for everyone night at Nationwide Arena, and while. Um, we recognize here, subjectively speaking, that hockey currently isn't for everyone. It's more of a hockey should be for everyone night. Uh, we are able to talk to somebody who also feels very passionately about um, issues of inclusivity for the LGBTQIA plus community, as well as other marginalized communities in the sport of hockey. And uh, without further ado, we're going to throw it over to our interview with Peter Levins. 
So like we mentioned, we have a very special guest with us today. Um, we are pleased to be joined by Peter Levins, who is the Associate General Counsel for the Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, and he's provided a wide range of legal services for the National Hockey League franchise since 2012, including corporate partnerships, contracts, um, sponsorship, premium seating, food and beverage ticketing, immigration, workers' compensation, hockey operations, employment contracts, minor league affiliations, sweepstakes and promotions, intellectual property registration and enforcement, um, premise incidents and liability and litigation. So not too much, right? <laughs> um, it's totally nothing. Yeah, right. Um, beyond his day-to-day uh, -day responsibilities, he does share his passion of sports, law, and diversity, gender, and LGBTQ issues, and is a co-founder and board member of the Family Pride Network, a nonprofit organization founded in 2014 to connect, support, and educate LGBTQ families and prospective parents in Central Ohio. He's also served on the board of directors for the Girl Scouts of Ohio's Heartland, served as the president of the Sports and Entertainment Law Association, and on the board of Outlaws, published a blog titled Wide Rights, providing information and commentary on gay rights and the sports industry, and volunteered at Kaleidoscope Youth Center, an after-school drop-in center for LGBTQ youth and friends. He finds a way to still do his day job. Welcome in, Peter Levins. How are you doing today? I'm doing very good. I wish we would have um, managed to get a point or two out of our game yesterday, but the season goes on and we get ready for New Jersey tomorrow. You and me both. They don't send any any uh, potential issues with officiating to the legal department, do they? Um, no, they do not ask <laughs> us to weigh in on those matters. It's too bad. Darn it. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Uh, well, Peter, we are just so excited to to have you on this show, especially with it's going to, to air on um, the same night as Hockey is for Everyone Night at Nationwide Arena. Um, and a big part of our show and our community that we're trying to build is about making the hockey community in Columbus a more inclusive and welcoming space, um, not just for, for hockey fans, but for different gender identities, sexualities, religions, races, creeds. Um, we want everyone to feel comfortable being a Blue Jackets fan or a Columbus hockey fan in general. Um, so to get us started, prior to you becoming the Associate um, General Counsel for the Blue Jackets, you served as the Director of Legal Affairs. So what has your experience been with the team and what is your Blue Jackets story? It's a great question. And, and I've been incredibly fortunate that I was able to break into sports, as they call it, directly out of law school. Um, I had some preliminary experiences in undergrad in the sports industry and, and continued that passion when I applied to law school. But even then, it's, it's a bit of a pipe dream to think you can actually break into sports and work in sports. So I was incredibly fortunate when I was graduating from law school in 2012 that an opportunity came up where the Blue Jackets needed a temporary part-time legal assistant. And... I was preparing to study for the bar exam. So there was this consideration of, can I do both? But it was also a dream opportunity, even if in the short term that I'd be able to do it, that I, I had to take the opportunity. And, you know, after doing, I, I presume I did a good enough job. And then some staffing changes happened with the department that they then brought me on and made my position full time and permanent. And that was directly after passing the bar exam. So then I was able to be a licensed attorney. 
and then kind of just slowly um, continued to grow in my role. Um, as, as Jeremy mentioned, uh, continually took on more and more responsibilities and got into more and more areas of the law. And that's just, I think, helped me continue to grow into the position I'm in now where I oversee and manage more functions of our legal department. I appreciate that your Blue Jackets career started off the same way it's going now, which is taking on just about as much as you possibly can. Yeah, and I think I think there's an element of working in sports where many people share that same career path or trajectory that you, whatever gets put in front of you, you find a way to embrace it and get the work done and, and keep moving forward. No doubt, no doubt. And I think, uh, you know, like Laura mentioned, releasing this episode on uh, the evening of Hockey is for Everyone Night at Nationwide Arena. And sports really have just always been such an integral part of society. It's part of the reason why I love sports so much. And, you know, I can't help but recognize that, you know, the representation of LGBTQIA plus folks in NHL front office positions like yourself, that can lead to more um, representation across the board. And so I'm just wondering for you, uh, you being in this role, what do you think that does for representation in the sport? And do you think that that can further representation amongst the athletes as well? Uh, it's a, a complex and very important question. Um, some of my passions to work in this space, actually many of my passions initially started with wanting to drive the intersection of particularly for the lgbtq community in sports um i, I mentioned my first opportunity to work in sports was actually as with a sports agent and he was passionate about the power of sports as a as a you know an ad, uh, a path for social change so much so that he required it in a sense as a condition for him to represent you that you had to have some sort of community endeavor, whether it was where you grew up, um, where you went to school or where you're playing as a pro. And that, cause he knew the power of sports for that. We, we've seen it throughout history that sports can rally communities. It can change things. We're seeing it right now with, you know, the, the, you know, the war Russia invading Ukraine and pressure being put on, you know, Russia from sporting organizations. So you see sports can do this in so many spaces and for the lgbtq community so much of our struggles are with representation and visibility um you know that 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 dates back to you know in modern history you know the 50s and 60s and 70s and how we're portrayed in the media and how that affects um how that affects you know youth growing up and what messages they're seeing what messages they're taking in um and so in the sports corollary, it's, you know, Billie Jean Keen often has the, the, the phrase, if you can see it, you can be it. And I think for the LGBTQ community, some of that is a participant in sport and some of it is to work in sports. So I hope that if someone who's in the LGBTQ community, especially a youth, that they can see me and then think, oh, I can work in sports. That's not a space that I'm excluded from. And in the same way, many people that work in sports also are those that played sports. So if you can see yourself working in sports, you can see yourself playing in sports, there, there's certainly interplay between those two things. 
And do you ever feel like that representation comes with any amount of pressure, right? To to be, because frankly, I mean, it's not something we see a lot of in, especially the NHL space, other sports perhaps, but um, not really as much in the NHL space. And I think I speak for a lot of people when I say that that sometimes is discouraging. And so do you ever feel any pressure associated with that? Uh, uh, yes, <laughs> a lot of pressure. Um, it, it, I try not to let it get to me. I also know that it's a privilege to be where I'm at. And so in many respects, it's important to me for me to persevere through that pressure, right? Based on what we just said about how important it is to see people in these spaces, um, that it's worth it, Um, you know, and and change isn't always as quick as I would hope and um, as strong as I would hope, but the when you're when you're faced with those considerations of the pressure i can always just remind myself of the value of doing it um you also mentioned in my bio um volunteering at kaleidoscope youth center was kind of an eye-opening experience because you may assess what your issues are um, but you often see other people struggling with it where they fit in the world and these are you know at the time, Kaleidoscope was ages 12 to 18, and they're battling anti-LGBTQ animus from their family, from their schools, and they're courageously and proudly themselves. So if, if they can do it, then I can do it. Um, and, and just reminding myself of the value of being who I am. But to your point, yeah, it's it's also a common corollary with athletes that have come out. They wish there were more. They, they didn't no athlete wants to be the first. Um, they, it's easier when you have peers with you sharing the burden. Um, there are more openly LGBTQ people in sports than I think many know or realize. Um, at one point in the NHL, for example, three teams had openly gay attorneys. So that's like, you know, 10% of the league had three. So um, it, it's not as uncommon as you think, but yet many of us may be the only one in our organizations, or there may be organizations without anyone that's openly LGBTQ. Yeah, it's really, I mean, as as I've gotten more into this sport, sports were not a part of my life until about five years ago when Jeremy took me to my first Blue Jackets game. Um, and... You know, I part of the part of the reason why I liked the Blue Jackets so much was because of, you know, their efforts working on educating themselves and getting better and working on these inclusive measures to help make sports or sports and our team specifically like working on that road to making it a more inclusive space. And um, while progress might be slower than some of us more um, progressive-minded people might want to see um, across not just with our own teams, but like across the league and across all uh, sports, you know, leagues, um, the introduction of hockey is for everyone night across NHL has been a great way to celebrate folks that have been marginalized in, in the sport that we all love. Um, so in your opinion, how important, um, are these nights and where do you see the progression of hockey is for everyone, say in the next 10 years? Uh, 
first, I'm glad that you found the sport of hockey and that you're still, you know, your fandom is growing and growing. We love to hear that. And, and I think it's also um, a testament to how the sport can grow organically, particularly if it is an inclusive space where everyone feels welcome. Um, we, we still have a long way to go thinking even just um, even just today, right? I know the Penguins are our rival, but I hate when people call Sidney Crosby Cindy, right? And that's still a massive problem of misogyny and sexism that's just rampant in hockey and it's rampant in Blue Jackets fan culture, right? There's mm -hmm. ways there's ways to be a truly animalistic, like fanatical, crazy fan without bringing misogyny and sexism and racism and homophobia into how you're talking trash even against the opposing team. Um, we still have, you'll hear, hear chants about it in the arena, I'm sure. Um, so, so we still have a long way to go. I hope we're making strides. Um, hockey is for everyone is, it's interesting to say the least. Um, I, I think at the surface level and as a baseline level, it's, it's good. Um, it's important to show a level of visible support. And I think there are tremendous benefits that can come from that. And, and a good example of that is Colin Martin in the MLS who came out a few years ago. One of the, the, the timing of it that really spurred him to do it was Minnesota United hosting their pride night. So here's a closeted player on a team who is navigating who he is in the sport and with his locker room and his teammates and all these things. And it was the team hosting a inclusive, visible night with rainbows everywhere and things like that. And that's what kind of gave him that final bit of courage to come out publicly. So there can be tremendous benefits that come from it. Um, and yet, as someone who's in the community, you're also, you, you hold everything to a higher standard. And one of the things that I think just built into the phrase hockey is for everyone is it it's this presumptive state. And I think too often it states it affirmatively, hockey is for everyone when we're working for hockey to be for everyone. And I think we're not at the finish line yet. And I think the phrase sometimes confuses the message that we are there and hockey is 100% for everyone when it's still not. And there's still so much work to do at the base levels for how we welcome fans. Um, you know, it, in, in just recent months, even, there's been a lot of uh, backlash about how inclusive the sport is for people of color and, and drilling all the way down where it starts in the youth leagues, because that's where all this behavior is taught and learned at, at a wide range of, of just the entire country, especially in Canada and all the youth leagues in the U.S., where these messages are being normalized at those levels. And to me, that's where the most work still needs to be done because that's the foundation of the culture of hockey is these youth leagues and, 
And I don't think we can confidently say that hockey is for everyone from the pro ranks all the way down to those youth ranks. So to me, we still have so much more to do. Um, yes, it's still good that we do hockey is for everyone nights and these types of initiatives. Um, it's important that we um, properly convey messaging and also do work behind the scenes to make that a true statement and to do it for all the communities that hockey is for everyone is supposed to represent, not just the LGBTQ community, but the community of color for women, for athletes with disabilities, all of these groups need support in different ways. And I think we can still do better, but at the same time, it's good that we're doing something with it. Um, in 10 years, I hope we can actually state that hockey is for everyone, right? And, and feel confident in that without any bit of caveat or questioning whether or not it's true. Right. Um, Jeremy, uh, about a year or so ago, did an interview with Curtis Gabriel, who is um, an active NHL player now with the Chicago Blackhawks organization and who is a very active uh, vocal uh, person specifically for LGBTQ um, marginalized communities within the hockey community. And he told um, a story about that youth leagues is where um, he learned, you know, certain derogatory terms to use. Like it was just not necessarily the hate associated with them, but just that the terms that were being used in the locker room, that as he got older, he realized they were slanderous terms they were derogatory you know things that are said about certain groups and as he's gone through his journey um to educate himself and to to hopefully be a, a positive light within uh within the league he's you know he's identified those those youth leagues and you know those times at juniors and all that sort of stuff where that, like you said, that is where players that are coming up through are learning these things. And it's where we need to start. Um, you know, they say <laughs> the iconic saying, it starts at home, you know, having these conversations with, with kids and especially kids that want to get involved um, in hockey, because it is, you know, from what we know and from what I've learned in, in enjoying this sport for the last few years is hockey is a commitment. So it becomes a huge amount, a huge part of your life. And a, it becomes the community that you surround yourself with. And so it's about having those imp important conversations. And as a woman who in the last year has started putting her, you know, her voice out there in a, in a sporting community, um, you know, even my own family, <laughs> you know, doesn't quite understand or like appreciate my like point of view um, or my interest in, in this so you know it's i've done my own amount of just trying to break my voice into into this community community thankfully haven't had too many issues with fellow blue jackets fans but you know i, I like to think that at this point i've gotten myself to a confidence level that i could stand up for <laughs> my opinion if not jeremy would uh follow through but <laughs> you know it is it's these it's these conversations and starting young and and understanding that we can't truly say that hockey is for everyone until it really is uh, for everyone and feels safe for everyone. And I say this with all the love in my heart, but putting pride tape on a stick is probably not going to make the sport of hockey for everyone. So I, I'm in full agreement that there's a lot more that we have to do. And hopefully we get to that point uh, sooner rather than later. 
uh, and I love I love being able to have conversations about this and, and possibly be a part of the folks who really pressure the teams that we left. Because I think that's the other point too, right? Like it's all out of a place of like deep devoted love to the game and to the sport because that quite frankly, like time and energy could be used elsewhere, right? To try to to fight this and, and push this. And I think we all have a lot of a lot of love for the sport and that's why we push it. But you know, I wonder just you know, from your perspective, Peter, obviously at the fan level, right, 100%, like just challenging and interrogating some of the things that we say at games, do at games um, that can be problematic to fan culture and toxic. But what are some of the other things from your perspective that folks can do to become more active in advocating for the inclusion of LGBTQI plus folks in sports, specifically in hockey? So I'll actually just call back to two things Laura mentioned, but but as a starting point, educating yourself is where it has to start because your, um, and what I'll get to is, is how you can use your voice as an ally, but your confidence to be an ally starts on being educated. Um, you will not find your voice and the confidence to speak out against issues or to even have the awareness to where there's something problematic until you're educated. And this applies both for the LGBTQ community, but I challenge myself to be a stronger advocate and ally for women and people of color. And I can only do that by being educated about the issues that they're facing. Um, and, and so to the points Laura made, there's really I think two things to really focus on with that. And one of the first one is language. I, 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 don't, I think it, it cannot be stated more how powerful words are that you use and or hear in just regular parlance of communication. Because it sends to, to those who are in a marginal, marginalized community, we have our antenna up all the time constantly looking for signs as to is this a safe space or is this not a safe space or like am i in danger and i need to leave this space and some of them are visible um, some of them are just simple word choices of how inclusive someone is even just asking someone do you have a spouse or partner versus presuming that they're heterosexual like th that simple thing if someone sees my wedding ring and asks me about my spouse, I'm infinitely more confident telling them about my husband than which has happened in the workplace and other places, an instant presumption of, oh, what does your wife do for work? And it's like, I'm just trying to grab coffee. Do I really want to have this educational moment right now? Um, it, it's such a simple thing that people can do to change and yes, it takes time and we have these habits of how we speak to people. So it takes a lot of unlearning and reforming your um, just how you communicate with people, but it actually makes the world of difference for those around you because you start sending these positive, subtle messages of inclusion that people will pick up on, I promise you. <laughs> um, so that's one. And, and then speaking more about being an ally, this is something that I'm incredibly passionate about because the LGBTQ community relies on allies and, and any disadvantaged or marginalized group relies on allies in many respects. And to me, just sorting through when 
is the appropriate time for an ally to act. Um, I like to think of it and using just the metaphor as like a sword or a shield. And there are times when a minority person needs an ally to step up for them with a sword because we can't do it ourselves or, or we are putting ourselves at too much risk by doing it. And that's where we really need an ally to step up in our stead. Um, there are times when allies need to put their swords away <laughs> and simply kind of defend a community, um, amplify their message, not take the, take the, um, um, what's the word? Just, just like take the attention for themselves but to like be a pedestal, be a sounding board to amplify a message. And it can be tough as an ally to discern when you should do one versus the other, but it's incredibly important for allies to do that. Um, I'll just share an example. There was one, uh, this was years ago, but uh, there was a, a friend of mine was in a suite. I went to say hello pregame kind of met some of the other people in the suite. And then at the end of the game, I'm leaving and I just pop my head and I still, there's, I see there's still people in the suite. Like sometimes people rush out to the door, but they're still in there. So I go in to see if my friend is in there. And one of the people in the suite said, no, he went to the gay bar. And I was like, I, I, I struggled to assess what that meant. Cause my friend also was not gay. And so I'm like, did they talk about me? And therefore that was a jab at me or was he, did he not know about me? And he was saying, well, his, my, our mutual friend left early and that's gay. I, I don't even know. So, so it would put me in this weird position, but I'm in this space alone with one of our paying customers. I have no voice in that space to challenge him. But if there's an ally in the space they could do it where I'm not putting myself at risk. That's just a weird example. But but so for me, I'm, I'm constantly trying to think of and, and be on alert myself for when are there spaces when I need to be an ally for people of color, for women, for other communities. Because if I'm expecting or hoping that they'll be an ally for me, I need to do my part to be an ally for them. Yeah, undoubtedly. And I think I think the other part about allyship that is so important, especially in spaces like this, is like, I know I, I will never be a perfect ally. I think anybody who is an ally, like, recognizes that they'll never be the perfect ally. And, and I just encourage people that when they act in allyship to to be comfortable with that, as uncomfortable as it is, right? Like, find some comfort in the fact that you will not always have the right thing to say. And that nobody is ever to a point of, of self-actualization in allyship and, and that's okay. Like, I, I think ultimately that's okay, but, but we need, we need our people to show up <laughs> when we need our people to show up. Well, I love what you said too, uh, act of allyship. It, it is an action. I, I think too many people want to call themselves an ally and they put a label on themselves and then they did never do anything. Correct. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, they they assume that if they're just, they're not outwardly like being judgmental or hateful themselves, that that is also considered being an ally. And like, no, there's there's quite a bit of a, a work side of it. Um, and you know, the the part of getting uncomfortable and speaks to an organization that Jeremy and I are both you know, uh, associated with, the Black Girl Hockey Club. 
you know, that's doing an impressive amount of work trying to get not only just teens, teams, but fans and associates of the NHL and all the layers that lead up to the NHL to, to get uncomfortable, mm-hmm. to educate themselves and to start really changing this narrative because, you know, it's, it's, it's going to move past you and you're going to end up, it, it's going to happen. And the hope is that it happens sooner rather than later, but regardless, it is going to happen. It has to happen in order for, you know, you don't want to be on the wrong side of history in this, in this circumstance and for the league to grow and con- continue, it needs to really make these, these efforts. So, you know, our hope um, as always is that, you know, people start, you're not going to be perfect. You're going to make mistakes you can ask questions, but it's important to be there and to stand up in those times when that marginalized person or group needs an ally to 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 be the sounding board. So that is our hope, at least. And we're hopeful that the Blue Jackets community will will continue doing and maybe even amp up a bit <laughs> um, its own circumstances around um making this sport more inclusive. Um, but we like we like to end all of our interviews with like kind of a fun circumstance. And um, we're pretty big into snacks. One of the big thing that we used to do uh, when we first started the show was uh, we always like talked about snacks or we'd pull on our social media accounts about snacks at the arena. Um, and recently we've added on this question, um, which is when, the Blue Jackets, and I said when, when the Blue Jackets win the Stanley Cup, what would you eat or drink out of it? So there's part of me that's also curious about what these snack surveys about Nationwide Arena, like the results <laughs> of said snack surveys. <laughs> we'll get you a report. We've got yeah. Okay, perfect, perfect. Um, I love, this is such a, a fun, just visual not even thinking the snack, but when we win the cup and just that sensation, um, I feel like I would go all in on Columbus's own Jenny's ice cream because that's some good ice cream. And it would probably be, you know, a mix of dark chocolate and their peppermint, which is like my favorite combination from them. So that would be, I I think that would be my go-to. We're big yeah, Jenny Brandon Yeah, I was going to say, gonna say we're, we're, we're going to yeah. pick just one flavor or like mix it up, do a scoop of everything. <laughs> yeah, maybe every maybe every flavor. Maybe that's what we would have to do. Ha- I mean, you'd have to go as big as you can go in that situation. I'd probably um, put in some Fifth Line Crunch as well from Perry's. You know, I got I got to plug the sponsor too. So I I would I would get the Columbus ice cream and the Perry's ice cream. I mean, we're going to have so much ice cream for my day with the cup anyway. So just add it all in there. Yes. I have enjoyed the little videos of Stinger uh, learning how to make this line crunch. So Sting, Stinger is, you know, you were reading off my bio of different things I do, but Stinger really kind of does it all. I mean, he makes the ice cream. He, he does that. He was at Skyline Chili working the other night. So he, he's he does everything. A man of many talents, a bug of many talents. Quite the resume going on for for our favorite our favorite green bug. But uh, you know, P 
Peter, we're thinking about you over the course of the next month because it is about to be a busy time of year, I think, for you <laughs> in terms of the trade. Oh, deadline. trade deadline. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, I, 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 I routinely ask Josh Flynn to only draft and play trade for American players, but. I don't think that's a good winning strategy from a hockey operations side. So he keeps disregarding my request. And I guess that's, I just have to live with the consequences of what he does. And they do. We appreciate your sacrifice, but I was telling, I was talking to a friend about our episode today and was, was talking about the complexity of your work. And I was like, yeah, like, like one day we traded with a team that we were literally playing. So the player only had to walk across the hallway but Peter and his folks, <laughs> they had to do a whole lot more to make that happen. Uh, it just blows my mind, the work that you and your team do. But, um, you know, I think it probably goes unnoticed by a lot of Blue Jackets fans. But we really appreciate you and the work that you're doing, obviously, for the team. But then also just for, the, you know, the LGBTQI plus community in Columbus and, um, and beyond. Well, I, I appreciate that. And hopefully I can continue to keep the players on the ice as far as my role is concerned and um, keep, you know, representing the community well. Absolutely. Well, we thank you for your time and we cannot wait to keep in touch. Thank you both. And yeah, I can't again, thank Peter enough for that conversation. Just a really great, great one. And hopefully if you are listening to this before the game on Tuesday, it's a nice little pregame, get you amped for hockey's for everyone night. And if you're listening to it afterward, I mean, obviously this is always going to be a very topical conversation. And so could not thank Peter enough for stopping by our little show. Yeah, absolutely. I I mean, I, I know we share this opinion, loved the opportunity to get to speak to Peter. He has definitely been on our list um, of people that we um, wanted to connect with um, in regards to everyone who works behind the scenes with the team. Um, I think it's just such an incredible um, opportunity to see um, a person within the LGBTQIA community working in our front office. Um, and it's something that we hope collectively becomes more of the norm. Obviously, you know, we want um, members of all these marginalized communities to become part of this community. We want them to feel welcome, not only listening to our show and interacting with us, but like working for the team, being part of the team, um, being a part of this overall hockey community in Columbus and, you know, we, we talk about it on, on the show, but it's, you know, it's about getting uncomfortable in your, in your allyship. It's about um, having these, you know, what can be tough conversations. It's about finding the, your opportunity to stand up for someone when they don't have a voice. Um, we like, we are hoping that we are um, examples of that and, um, you know, both as allies or working in allyship and being part of marginalized communities ourselves um, and working for our own voices to be heard. And, um, you know, for, for ourselves, uh, communication is, is a big part of what we do in our day-to-day lives as well. So we are here to have those tough conversations and um, we hope all of you will, will come along with us and um, we look forward to, to having more opportunities to, to speak with, with Peter and to work with Peter um, and to hopefully be a much um, bigger part of the inclusivity movement within the Columbus Blue Jackets 
organization. Yeah, without a doubt. And Peter kind of touched on this. I want to end my portion of the show by just saying um, something really quick, really short, not going to dive too far into it, but my personal thoughts, I don't want to speak for Laura. Um, thoughts and prayers are with the folks of Ukraine. Uh, I think once again, it's a situation that we sit down for an hour and we talk about hockey and regardless of what we talk about, it's not going to come anywhere near um, or be anywhere near as important as uh, you know some of the things that are happening in our world and some of the things that are happening to other folks. And so for us to be able to sit down and have a conversation with you all for an hour about you know LGBTQIA plus inclusion in the sport of hockey, to talk about the Blue Jackets last week, uh, you know, and to not necessarily have to personally worry about whether or not we were going to be able to sleep peacefully tonight because of, of impending doom, um, you know, waged by a very sick man. And that's as far as I'll go um, because I can absolutely go farther, but I won't, you know, it's truly a blessing for us. And, and I, it's not lost on me how much of a blessing it is. And again, my thoughts, my love, my, you know, everything, uh, to the people of Ukraine tonight and, and all nights. Um, and obviously I think I speak for everyone when I say that I'm hoping for a very swift conclusion to this terrible invasion. Yes. And you can absolutely speak for me, um, in those thoughts and comments. Um, I share the same regard that, uh, I, it is not beyond me to understand the privileged existence that we live, uh, specifically in this country, um, that we have not had to face tanks driving down our streets and bombs being dropped um, on us uh, for literally over a century at this point, um, almost. Um, and the idea and the privilege that, you know, we get to sit here and again, like Jeremy said, talk about hockey with you for an hour and talk about the inclusivity you know, marginal movements that we're making within just this community um, when there's real tragedy and real suffering happening um, just a short, you know, distance uh, from from our, our world. So I echo the sentiments of my heart um, being with the people of the Ukraine and that some semblance of sanity will return um, to this situation so that they can go back um, and start rebuilding what has so ruthlessly been taken from them for, um, for no reason. But, and we hope that you will join us in, in that and, you know, moving forward and, and, and regaining peace um, in, in their country. So. Without a doubt. And, Obviously, um, you know, quite a week coming up for the Blue Jackets. So we hope that you'll you'll follow along with us um, as we do that. Of course, you can do that on Twitter, Instagram at Subjectively Pod. You can do that on Facebook by following us at Subjectively Speaking. Same with YouTube, Subjectively Speaking, and uh, you know, drop us a rate, uh, whatever have you. Show us some love, um, and we. Um, you know, again, we just really appreciate being able to do what we do with you all. Um, again, very important night hockey for everyone night tonight as you're listening. And, um, you know, for the rest of the day, 
uh, buy your Subjectively Speaking Pride merch at subjectivelyspeaking.threadless.com, and all proceeds are going to go to You Can Play. Uh, so get on that, and uh, yeah. Sorry I stole that from you. I always feel that when I steal that from you, but sometimes the transitioning just feels more appropriate. Yeah, because so. um, we try and share equally. But the next time you'll be hearing from us, it will be our 100th episode of Subjectively Speaking. We will be in the same, not even just the same state, we will be in the same room because um, I'm going to be his mode of transportation for the whole time that he's in Ohio, so he's stuck with me. Um, but... We will be in the same room um, getting ready to celebrate a huge, huge moment in Blue Jackets history with the retiring of number 61 into the rafters and, you know, a couple a couple big games, uh, seeing the L.A. Kings on Friday and then the return of former captain and now Boston Bruin Nick Foligno on Saturday, along with the uh, retirement of Rick Nash's number. So lots of things to come in Blue Jackets land. Really an incredible week to come, folks, and we hope that you're with us every step of the way. Uh, But until we get a chance to talk to you all next time, uh, be well, and we'll talk soon. Bye.